gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. Thank you so much. Wherever you're joining us on uh, Spotify, on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on iHeart, however you get your podcasts, thank you so much for being here with us. It is much appreciated, uh, as it is every time you tune in, every time you click on a grizzlybearblues.com article. Uh, it means the world to myself and our wonderful staff over at GBB. And speaking of that wonderful staff, I am joined as always, or almost always, by my wonderful co-host, my associate editor, or one of my associate editors, over at grizzlybearblues.com, Mr. Paca underscore Flocka himself, Parker Fleming. How are you, sir? You know, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's December 2020's over, almost over. And, you know, I kind of wish... Stuff was back to normal, and we were attending media day in person. But you know, the virtual that will do. So I'm, I'm really excited to finally get back to covering the Memphis Grizzlies with actual games going on. And I'll be a little bit selfish here and admit, as I did during the summer when the bubble was happening, that this is an opportunity for me to do some more media stuff that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. So. I want the world to be back to normal, and I want that very much. But a, a, a silver lining in the dark cloud is me being able to do some of this media work along with you and our other associate editor, Brandon Abraham, who did a great job covering John Conchar's availability uh, on Tuesday as we record this show. And I know, Parker, you'll be covering uh, Coach Jenkins later on in the day. So us three will be tackling this virtual season, as it appears it's going to be, and uh, we, we're excited that you guys will be along for the ride with us. Ways to get in touch with the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Molinax. I'm uh, the site manager over at grizzlybearblues.com. You can follow our blog, Grizzly Bear Blues, at SBN Grizzlies. You can also follow Parker, as I mentioned a moment ago, at Paca underscore Flocka. And then you can follow the podcast on Twitter at GBB Live. Our guest on this episode wrote an awesome article for uprocks.com it was titled the memphis grizzlies are maximizing their rebuild with draft gems uh kind of you may have noticed the last couple of weeks whether it was chris harrington and others on the program uh there there's a bit of a theme in terms of looking at the roster and trying to decide if the two superstars that it appears everybody is trying to build their teams around whether it's the lakers obviously the clippers uh you know the Bucks, I guess, in theory, you have Giannis and maybe you mix Holiday and, and Middleton and go from there. Uh, everybody's trying the Brooklyn Nets, of course, with KD and uh, Kyrie are the two superstars for the Memphis Grizzlies already on the roster. And they're just 21 years old and you have to wait for them to grow up a little bit to, to reach that status fully. Is there further work that needs to be done? And this article actually comes out in a very timely fashion for us because it touches on a lot of the moves that Zach Kleiman and company have made, how they're very popular with draft Twitter and Grizzlies Twitter uh, as a, as a connecting point there and, and looking at how they're trying to maximize the talents of John Jaron. So we're excited to have him on the show here uh, an abbreviated episode this week, but certainly worth it. A good conversation with Mr. Jackson Frank, who again has written over at the step back. Again, we just talked about uprocks.com. Uh, he does a lot of good work. At Liberty Ballers as well. We've had Liberty Ballers folks on in the past. So excited to have Jackson on the show. Jackson, how are you, sir? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the kind words. I'm excited to talk some, some Grizzlies and NBA out, Outlook in general today. 
Absolutely. You know, I, I've been doing this for way too long now. Um, and I, one of the best parts about doing this job is getting to talk to people that obviously you never would have interacted with otherwise and having conversations about, you know, something that is a mutual passion in basketball and, and following the NBA in particular here. So, you know, I appreciate your time. I, I'm even, you know, six or seven years into this of uh, running this podcast. I think our seven year anniversary of GBB live is next month. Um, you know, it doesn't get old getting to talk to folks and learn about how other people perceive the Grizzlies. Cause I think that's one of my strengths as a site manager for uh, Grizzly bear blues is, you know, I lived in Memphis for three years, but I'm outside of the bubble, so to speak. You know, I'm not from Memphis. I'm, I left Memphis to be back in the Washington DC area where I'm originally from. So I can have a perspective on the team that not a lot of fans of the team uh, have because most of the fans of the Memphis Grizzlies, of course, are in Memphis. And I like talking to folks like you, who also view the team through that lens and they see things maybe not the same as me, but in, in the same fashion as such that it's not as tied into, you know, being fanatical about a player, you just appreciate the moves and that sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. I think that the way that you really describe it in the article, and I'm going to quote from your piece here, a season or so later climate had wiped away the fog of a murky rebuild to provide Memphis with a clear vision. And I've said that repeatedly. And I think, you know, in a year or so, Jackson, I've gone from Mr. Doom and Gloom covering the Grizzlies to now I'm accused of being a homer uh, for as excited as I get about the way that the team is being built and operated upon. I think that in a grander scale or on a grander scale, it's not being a homer for the team. It's being excited that they have competent leadership for the first time in what seems like forever. And it's certainly for the first time since I've been following the team going back to 2011. You know, it's been almost 10 years since the Grizzlies have had a future this bright. And you could argue it's, you know, never been as bright as it is for Memphis. And it's nice to see somebody, again, not in that Memphis bubble, acknowledging the work that Zach Kleiman and company are doing at heading the Grizzlies organization. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've i been really impressed with what they've done. I think, um, you know, obviously, John and Jaron are on a very good trajectory. The key is going to you know end up being how good exactly they they develop into. But um, I think it is prudent of Kleiman and company to build around them and, and find guys um, who complement them well. And, you know, you know, it's always, like I said, it's going to come down to how good John and Jaron are. I think there's just a lot of validity and belief in, in the idea that they should be become as good as you need them to be. Um, but I think at the very least you need to show commitment to them and understand how good they are, how good they can become. And, and the draft picks and the guys they've signed, the young guys they've acquired in recent years, over the last year and a half or so, um, I really shown that they understand what John and Jeremy are good at, and that they're good, and what maybe they need, what they need help with from other guys on the on the roster. And that matters because I do think it's important to point out that Jaron Jackson Jr. was a draft pick of the previous regime, right? Chris Wallace, um, the the crew that left JB Bickerstaff, that was them, and they drafted Jaron under the grit and grind 2.0 return to defense mantra that obviously never really took uh, in terms of general philosophy. Um, but he obviously has fit into what this front office is trying to do. He's a very solid two-way player. Uh, he's even, you could argue, better offensively right now than defensively, which nobody really kind of foresaw. They saw him defensively as a really high-level player early on, and he's had some struggles on that end. Uh, but that's the previous regime. You have to give credit there. And then when it comes to John Morant, you know, aside from maybe a, a brief debate between R.J. Barrett and Morant in the 2019 draft, 
Morant was largely the consensus number two pick in that draft. So you have these two guys that Morant fell into your lap. Jackson was already part of the process. Now you're starting to build around them, like you said, and I think you give the, the organization the most credit right now in identifying their strengths and weaknesses and building upon it. So I'm curious, and again, you mentioned Brandon Clark in your piece, and we'll talk more about him here in a minute. Uh, you talk about the Anthony Melton. You talk about John Conchar, who met with the media in Memphis on Tuesday. John Tay Porter and his injury returns. The draft picks of Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman, who we talked about last week on, or in the last couple of weeks on the show. You know, Killian Tilly, Sean McDermott, the two-way contract guys they signed. There's all sorts of names that kind of fit that mold. But again, as somebody from the outside looking in of Memphis, what is it exactly, in your opinion, that Morant and Jackson do best? And what do they most need to improve upon as they try to reach and figure out, are they these guys that Memphis hopes they are? And they can be those two cornerstones that you already have in place. They're just on rookie deals right now, and you don't have to worry about their max contract guys, in theory, without max contracts. Yeah, so I think Ja initially, you know, his his best strength offensively are the way he runs pick and rolls. He's crafty, he's deceptive, getting in the lane, he sets up screens well, he's really good at getting to the rim. Um, he's a pretty good finisher for a guard, but obviously the jumper is still coming along. You know, he shot all right from there this year, shot all right from college, but volume is kind of an issue. He's kind of got that slow, elongated release a little bit. So surrounding him offensively with guys who can space the floor really well and shoot a lot of high-volume threes um, because Joss is a good passer and so good at kind of collapsing defenses in various ways is a really important key for him offensively. Um, and then Jaron obviously is is a very, very impressive shooter. Um, really took a step forward there in his volumes in his second year last season. Um, and then I thought he kind of regressed somewhat defensively. I thought he was slower with some rotations, um, wasn't as good on the perimeter with his mobility as his rookie years. Maybe there was something going on there. I don't know exactly, but I think – you know, not overextending him too much defensively um, and finding guys who can help protect the rim behind him and are also mobile. Um, so he can kind of do a little bit of everything defensively rather than being asked to be this incredible voluminous shooter and also do some stuff on the ball offensively while also switching and protecting the rim. Um, I don't think you want to overextend him too much. Um, and so I think for him with the Grizzlies, you want to find somebody to protect the rim um, and kind of be your primary rim protector and let him be like a help side guy. And then also find guys in the perimeter who can switch um, if you want to switch pick and rolls because I don't think Jaron is someone you want switching there all the time, but you can do it in, in, in a pinch. Um, so I think those would kind of be the areas that I that I think would be would need to be addressed. And that's what I saw a lot of Mem- what Memphis has done um, in recent in recent years. And then obviously I thought Jaw was better defensively than I expected this year, but um, I still think he you probably want him on that second or third perimeter option. And I think you know trading for Melton last year signified they they want someone else taking some more of those on bell reps down the road against a team's primary guard option. Right. And I think one of the, the biggest questions for, you know, this John Jaron center team is what is Jaron Jackson Jr. going to be? Obviously he, he's a basketball unicorn with his uh, three point shooting and his shot creation and he's evolving ball handling, but he does have issues as far as fouling and rebounding goes right now. But I'm really interested to see your take on this because the big question is, is he a four or is he a five? And the Grizzlies have put themselves in a position where they can pivot and either have Jackson at the five and Clark at the four long term, or they can make Clark that super sub off the bench while keeping Jaron at the four and starting Tillman at the five. 
I know you've covered Clark extensively at your time at Gonzaga, and he was really high on your draft board, and you were also really high on Tillman as well. Do you have a preference over which one you would like to see and which one would best maximize not even just Jaron Jackson Jr., but also Brandon Clark and Xavier Gilman? Yeah, it's it's kind of a tough spot, I think, for Memphis in that in that sense. One of the kind of the few areas that is they haven't backed themselves into, but it is, you know, because I think both Clark and Jaron are best as kind of like secondary rim protectors. You don't want to rely on them to be your anchors. Um, both lack some core strength. Clark obviously has like a six eight wingspan, um, which kind of hurts him, especially against longer guys. And you saw sometimes this year where he'd be in the right spot. I guess last year, last season, um, he'd be in the right spot in rotation, but because he's so kind of skinny or whatnot for a power forward, he'd be able to kind of be pushed under the basket and not do not do as much as you'd like as a rim protector can. So I I think what I would probably do is long term you'd hope Tillman can develop into that center and have Jeremy be the four. Um, but at the same time, I think if you're wanting Tillman to develop, you could also try and bank on Jaron adding some core strength, improving his rebounding, improving kind of a, getting back to those sharp rotations he made more often, in my opinion, as a rookie help stuff. So I guess reversing course on what I just said is I would, I would really try and lean on developing Jaron as a five, working on that core strength, working on getting him back to being really prompt and help rotations like we saw in college and especially as a rookie, um, because I think that's kind of what you want long-term. I think Clark can play some three, and we saw that at times this year with some funky lineups from Memphis. Um, but I, I would I would bank more on having Tillman kind of be your third rotation big um, and Jaron and Clark being kind of your, your starting core. Um, I mean, certain matchups necessitate Tillman starting and Clark coming off the bench um, just because Tillman's a lot bigger and stronger and longer. I think he has a 7-1 or 7-2 wingspan. Um, he's obviously a lot stronger than Clark. So um, I would have him be a third big, but you know, situationally, maybe you you'd bring him in and start him or you close him at certain times and you play Clark at the three. So, um, but I think the big thing is hoping that you can have Jaron develop into a, a viable um, defensive anchor at the five. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinex, joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming. Our guest on this episode is Mr. Jackson Frank. He writes for the Step Back, Dime, Up Rocks, uh, Liberty Ballers, all sorts of great stuff out there. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so at Jack Frank underscore JJF. Uh, the Clark versus Tillman dynamic, and I know Anthony Sane, who's a radio host in Memphis, has been a writer, a part of Grizzlies and, and Memphis Tigers uh, circles for a long time. He has fallen in love with Xavier Tillman. Obviously, there's lots of other folks that really like his skill set. But I think that the point on Brandon Clark is an interesting one. Because when Brandon Clark did start last year, and it was a very small sample size, so I think you have to take it with that grain of salt, he was a completely different player as a starter than he was as a reserve. Um, He was a very, very, very good reserve, of course. That's where he made uh, a lot of his all-rookie team uh, gains. But at the same time, when he started, especially in the bubble, when Memphis kind of needed him to step up in a way uh, with Jaron Jackson Jr. out, he was not good at all. He, he looked like he, you know, belonged where he was drafted, if not worse, in terms of the fall that he took on draft night. So I think Tillman as a starter and Jaron long term as that four would be good for the Grizzlies because it would allow Clark to stay in that maximized role. Him as a three is something interesting. And before we go to break, I want to I want to hear your explanation on that, because I saw uh, Griffin, the GM of the Pelicans talking about Zion potentially playing on the wing. 
And I think that's a terrible idea from watching Zion play basketball. I don't think he can do that. He certainly can't defend. Uh, he can't play defense as a big, much less as a perimeter player. Uh, and I think that you would see similar issues with Clark, maybe not as pronounced defensively, but Clark offensively maybe is where you would see it. He needs help creating his offense. He's not very good coming off the dribble. I think he really can only go one way in terms of his handle. Uh, he has good touch around the basket, but it's usually coming off of pick and rolls. It's him as a, a attacker of the paint, not so much him making his own shot. He depends on the likes of a John Morant or in theory, a Justice Winslow when he comes into the fold, a Tyus Jones. You know, Clark as a wing, I guess covering the team, I don't see it as much. But again, what I was talking about earlier cuts both ways. Maybe I'm in too deep and I'm not giving Clark enough credit for what you think he could be offensively. Yeah, I think for me, mostly it would be, I think from, from, like, I think his mobility is good enough and has the potential to get to the point it needs to long-term to be viable as a three defensively. And I, I do, because I do worry to an extent about Clark being overextended on the interior, because like I mentioned, I feel like he was a pretty solid rim projector, but he's not someone you want to over-rely on there. Um, but I think it's at least something worth exploring because they do kind of have this, not necessarily because I think it's a, it's something that's a surefire guaranteed idea to work because they kind of have this weird um, overlap in the front court. Um, they have a lot of fours and fives. They need, and then I think they need, you know, we mentioned Justice Winslow. I'm kind of curious to see how he comes back. He's had some, so many injuries over his first few years. I'm curious how much Memphis can get out of him. Um, but they have so many fours and fives. I, I, I would hope they can find someone kind of long-term with the three. Um, so I think at least maybe exploring a little bit there with Clark um, would be worthwhile because he because he has proven to be um, a solid floor spacer at least in the rookie year he was um, and he's got that kind of nice one one or two dribble runner from like the elbow or maybe a couple steps inside the free throw line um, I think you at least have a little bit of wiggle room there and it's worth exploring I don't know if it'll work but I do think wing is where the Grizzlies need to kind of find some answers long term and doesn't, maybe doesn't have to be on the roster already right now um, they still can they're still going to have maybe one or two years of the top 20 draft pick. I mean, even for making the playoffs as a seven or eight seed for one more year or something. So um, I think it's at least maybe worth exploring. If it doesn't work, um, at least, you know, rather than, you know, waiting to just find a wing in the draft or via free agency. Um, but I definitely hear what you're saying, both as a starter idea and um, then maybe some of the issues with mobility on the wing, overextending his mobility and relying too much on what he can do there. And that is a great segue into our next segment. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll continue our conversation with Jackson Frank. That ties in with, we had an article from Justin Lewis of the 3 and D podcast talking about wings. Parker wrote about Grayson Allen. Uh, the next star wing is probably not on the roster right now. I think that's safe to say. But if Memphis wants to be in this playoff slash play-in conversation, they're going to need production from their wing players, not just John and Jaron. We'll talk with Jackson about that and more next. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Monax. I'm joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming. And our guest at this time is Mr. Jackson Frank at JackFrank underscore JJF on Twitter. He wrote an excellent article over at Uproxx that you guys should definitely check out. It's called The Memphis Grizzlies Are Maximizing Their Rebuild with Draft Gems. So part of the dime um, portion of up rocks make sure you're going over there reading that post he does a great job in the previous segment we talked about brandon clark and how he may fit with jaron and john moving forward now in this segment we're going to cover those wings that we 
alluded to at the end of the previous segment, looking at the DeAnthony Meltons of the world, who is back on a, very, uh, in my opinion, a team-friendly contract. Uh, maybe some folks think he's being overpaid, but he does a lot of things that, again, we're talking about fits with John Jaron. Melton is a tremendous fit with John Jaron, even as he works on finding his offensive role as a shooter in particular. Uh, John Conchar, we mentioned earlier in the show, we talked about Grayson Allen and other wings that the, the star, the next star wing of the Grizzlies is likely not on this team right now, whether it's in the draft in 2021, whether it's in free agency, uh, Duncan Robinson is a pipe dream for Parker that may or may not be possible depending on how things shake out for the Grizzlies. But Duncan Robinson, again, if we're talking about fits in terms of alongside John Jaron, an elite three-point shooter would make a hell of a lot of sense. So, Jackson, I'm curious, as the Grizzlies roster stands right now, you have Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks. Uh, we talked about Justice Winslow, Grayson Allen, who Parker will ask you more about here in a moment. Uh, we talked about Melton. It seems like you have a lot of guys that are going to be in that competitive mold for trying to figure out who the hell is going to fit into this rotation. Taylor Jenkins, throughout last season, went with an 11-man rotation uh, combining that logic with the COVID realities right now, a lot of these guys are going to get playing time through necessity and just general attrition. Um, who do you see when you look at this Grizzlies roster on the wing in particular that really stands out in terms of, again, obviously the Grizzlies value Melton a considerable amount in terms of long-term deals. How do you see the wing position in particular uh, really kind of fitting into form as training camps open this week? Yeah, they're 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 in an interesting spot because I think maybe well Justice Winslow might be the best basketball player who plays wing for the Grizzlies. I don't think he makes a lot of sense in the starting lineup because when he's been best maximized with the Heat, it's playing this kind of point forward role, running a lot of pick and rolls, getting to the rim, um, shooting a few pull ups, you know, handling the ball a lot. And obviously, most of the offense is going to run through Jaw and Jaron, um, and he, for the most part, you know, when they're on the floor with starters, so. Um, I, 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 I would say, I think, you know, Dylan Brooks is someone who was probably, I would wager gets a lot of maybe the first, the first, um, opportunity, um, obviously started every game last year and, you know, developing a pretty nice score. I do worry though, to the extent that he's, I feel like he's very deliberate in his ways and that he, he's methodical, not methodical, but he likes to kind of take his time as a scorer and, um, dominate the ball a lot. I don't think that is necessarily the best presence to have next to John Jaron. I would like to see John kind of explore more of his possibilities of score, um, see if Jaron can ex expand his on-ball flashes that we've seen the past couple of years. Um, but I would bet on, on Dylan Burke getting kind of that first crack at it. Um, but again, I think as, as you've mentioned previously, I don't think the long-term answer at the three is currently on the roster um, for the Grizzlies, but I, but I think um, – I would expect kind of Dylan Brooks and Justice Winslow to kind of be your main guys there, soaking up most of the minutes, at least at, at three. Um, and obviously guys like um, D'Anthony Melton and um, Grayson Allen getting getting some minutes as kind of a secondary guard off the bench um, provide different things that Jaw can't quite offer or doesn't quite offer at the moment. Yeah, and so you mentioned Grayson Allen is kind of like that secondary guard off the bench. Today for Grizzly Bear Blues, I wrote about the uh, sustainability and building on his uh, three-point marksmanship from the NBA bubble where he shot. Best of SB Nation. Big deal, Mr. Parker Fleming. Got a big shot over here. I, I didn't want to 
do that, but thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, I'll do it. I'll happily do it. You're <laughs> you're a star, my friend, a star. Yeah, so uh, he shot 47% from three, and one of my big um, my big critiques from the NBA website and from basketball reference is they don't count the playing games for any of their stats, so I had to derive that a little myself. He shot 47% from three. And I just kind of compare him a little bit to uh, Joe Harris and JJ Redick. And the fact that like both of all three of those guys were four-year college players, Harris and Redick in particular had slow starts to their college or to their NBA career. But over the course of the years, they've gained more value as some of the league's best three-point snipers. I mean, Joe Harris just got a bag in free agency and JJ Redick somehow keeps topping of game each and every year up to the age of 35. So I kind of just like looked at ways where they're, they're similar, but also ways that I want Grayson to mimic those guys in terms of coming off screens and doing more one dribble pull-ups to kind of minimize his, um, his uh, shot risk, I guess, as far as gaining separation and being able to get cleaner looks at the rim and, that that's really just the extent of it, especially since, I mean, you've kind of touched on this in your piece, Jax. I mean, they have Melton, they have Winslow, John Moran, obviously, uh, Xavier Tillman, Desmond Bain. There's all these great positional playmakers, and Grayson's a guy that could benefit from those players because of his catch-and-shoot abilities. He shot about 45% on catch-and-shoot threes this year, this past year. So do you see any... Upside in becoming and Grace Allen becoming this reliable 40, 38 to forty percent three point shooter, or I mean, is this bubble just an anomaly? How do you see his long term outlook going forward as a NBA four spacer? Yeah, you know, I was I was pretty impressed by his his season. Um, I thought he definitely took a nice step forward um, as a shooter. I, I think he definitely has a place as kind of a maybe a back end rotation player. Um, and I do think the shooting is fairly sustainable, not 47% or whatever, but 38 to 41%. Um, shot 38% across four years in college. Um, you know, it was at, at 37% for his career through two years um, in the NBA. So I definitely think it's, it's well established that he's a good floor spacer and you can, you can believe in that part of his game um, moving forward. I, I don't know if he's ever going to become the type, the, you know, the Joe Harris or J.J. Reddick types where he's running a lot of handoffs and running off screens. Um, I think that's kind of a tough thing to mold someone into, especially at age he's 25 now, I think, or, you know, about to be 25. Um, yeah, just turned 25 last month or two months ago. But um, so I'd be hesitant to kind of maybe expect or project that sort of growth. But I do think he could be a pretty high volume spot up guy, um, which has a lot of value in its own right. Um, but yeah, I was I was very impressed with the season that Grayson Allen put in. I definitely think he went from guy who a guy who didn't really look like he belonged in the NBA as a rookie, um, especially as an older rookie someone who definitely has a place that kind of a, don't give him any on-ball reps, don't let him play point guard or on the ball a lot like he did at Duke at times, um, but just let him be a floor space or spot up um, and shoot a lot of high, shoot threes at a high volume. You definitely have a role there off the bench. So um, I see him mostly as a spot up guy, but a pretty valuable one at that, even if it's not a Joe Harris or J.J. Riddick level of shooting value. Right. And I, I know one thing I was really impressed with when studying this film, because I don't ever really get a lot of chances to look at uh, non-Grizzly teams is, and I'm sure you saw this a lot when covering the Sixers for the Athletic and for Liberty Ballers, but J.J. Redick moves so 
well and fast off the ball, even at his age. I was, I was very impressed with just how how well he moves for his age. And I, I almost was like, in, in writing this, I was like, ooh, I might want to kind of go back on this comparison a little bit. J.J. Redick does a lot off ball and just generates so much gravity. But I know uh, Joe just asked you about the uh, the Grizzlies' wing rotation. If you had to place a bet on any of those players becoming that starting two or three guard next to John Morant on the next great Grizzlies team, who would it be? Yeah, that's that's tough. I think, you know, the candidates I would, you know, paint, paint or peg right now would be um, the leading candidate would either be for me, Desmond Bain or DeAnthony Melton. Uh, I know Melton's a little undersized um, height-wise. He's 6'4", but I think he's like a 6'10 wingspan, so that really helps him defensively. Um, I would probably personally go Bain. I was a big believer in Desmond Bain as a prospect. I had him, um, I think I had him 14th or 15th on my board. I just love what he brings as a floor space, the way he manipulates screen, his constant motion. I like how smart he is as a team defender, um, his motor on that end too. I like his secondary playmaking and pick and rolls. Um, I really think he makes a lot of sense as a guy who can take a little bit of the burden off as an on-ball creator for John Morant, but also be a really good and voluminous um, floor spacer next to him, um, really draw a lot of gravity, let Jaw get downhill as a driver, as a pick and roll player. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. That's where I would kind of put my put my chips, place my chips. Um, but I could definitely see it being Melton if Melton takes a step forward as a, um, as a shooter, um, maybe a little step forward as a dynamic playmaker. Um, I could see that being him being the guy there and maybe Bain being a, a third guard um, in a few years for the, for the Grizzlies. But um, I would, I would be more confident in Bain um, taking that kind of that, that spot as the, as the two or the three next to, next to jaw long-term. We are finishing up here with Mr. Jackson, Frank, uh, Mr. Jackson, Frank writes stuff over at hoop stuff. I should say over at the step back uh, for dime over with up rocks. He does a great job with Liberty ballers, all sorts of great work. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. If you don't already do so at Jack Frank underscore JJF, his most recent piece on the Grizzlies is a great one. Again, it's called the Memphis Grizzlies are maximizing their rebuild with draft gems. I will get you out of here on this Jackson. You talk about at the end of your article, uh, the Grizzlies needing one more high level starter, presumably on the wing. I think we're all in agreement on that. Uh, I know Parker loves Dylan Brooks, but Dylan Brooks probably is best served as a reserve on that theoretical next great Grizzlies team off in the distance. Uh, but the last sentence of your piece, even so Zach Kleiman is heading a savvy reconstruction in Memphis, giving a little wink to draft Twitter with every new young player he brings into the fold. And I think that's a fair way to summarize things. But again, the key word there is rebuild or reconstruction. And I think that we were spoiled in Memphis and I get heat for this every time I say it on GBB or on a podcast or radio, whatever I'm doing. Uh, I get somebody saying that I'm a Debbie Downer. Again, I'm called a homer. I'm a Debbie Downer. I, I cover all aspects of fandom, apparently, um, because I think that it's the most likely scenario for this coming season is that the Memphis Grizzlies will be a better basketball team when they're healthy. Because, again, Jaron Jackson Jr. starting the season a month later because of his knee injury. Uh, Justice Winslow is probably a week or two behind the start of the season if we're going off of the breadcrumbs that Zach Kleiman left in his post-draft media availability, uh, Justice is believed to return before Jaron will. Um, when you look at this team, I think it's very possible and probable at this point that they will be better when everybody's on the floor together than they were last season at any point. 
but because of the way that the Western Conference has shaken out, they will not make the playoffs. And I think that you can make an argument that they will not only not make the playoffs, but they may not even be in that play-in conversation for the 9 or 10 seed because you have teams like New Orleans. You have teams like Sacramento. You have teams that are going to be in the mix. Houston hasn't traded James Harden or Russell Westbrook yet. Having those two on your roster surely puts you in that play-in conversation. So if OKC falls out, like people assume they will, and Golden State rises up, like people assume they will, you have Phoenix, who wasn't in the play-in last year. Portland's not going anywhere. Uh, This Grizzlies team isn't a rebuild. And I think, again, we talked about your perspective earlier in the show. Tell me I'm not crazy. Tell me that I'm not just hating on the Memphis Grizzlies and I'm not in touch with the fan base because I don't live there. Tell me that I see things in a at least a logical way that they could still be progressing in the rebuild with all the pieces that we've been talking about in this episode of the show, and yet it's still not be good enough this particular season for them to be in the playoff conversation. Yeah, I think the key the key term there is, is could, which is what I would agree with. I, I definitely see a path to them being in the play or maybe even um, sure stealing the, stealing the eight seed if you know. If, James Harden ends up getting dealt. Obviously, Houston won't be um, any anything noteworthy. Um, but yeah, I would lean on the side of them missing the playoffs, even if they are, like you said, a better team. I think Jaw seems to take massive strides every year. Um, even the strides he made from his sophomore year at Murray State to his rookie year with Memphis um, were incredible. So I expect him to be um, maybe a fringe All Star guy. Maybe not make the All Star team, but at least get some more mention um, and buzz. I expect Sharon to take another leap forward. Um, but yeah, I think it may not it might necessarily be reflective in the standings. Um, but, but I would, I, yeah, I would lean toward maybe them being in the plan, but not being uh, a playoff team, a top eight team. Um, but I think your assessment is correct. And the, like you said, the Grizzlies could have a very encouraging season from a long-term perspective and it not result in a playoff berth. We were spoiled by the bubble. We were spoiled. We thought that we were even further ahead than we are. And, I th- and that doesn't mean that anything's a failure, that anything is bad. We just have to keep our eyes on the long-term prize. Uh, your two best players are 21 years old. They literally are just now allowed to drink alcohol legally in the United States of America. So I, I think that we can pump the brakes a little bit and be happy with the progress that's being made. And it's getting national attention and, and widespread attention, as Jackson's great article uh, showed. Jackson, thank you so much. Jack Frank underscore JJF on Twitter. Follow him already, or excuse me, if you don't already do so, make sure you're following him there. Great work on everything across the NBA, not just the Memphis Grizzlies. Jackson, thank you again, sir. We'll have you back on down the road. Sounds good. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk some Grizzlies and talk uh, NBA in general. Thanks for all the kind words. Absolutely. For Parker, for Jackson, I'm Joe. We'll talk to you guys next week. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.